What's up, podcast fans? It is Tim here from Video Game Fury, and it is Wednesday, September 27, 2017. Here to give you the latest and greatest in all the video game news, industry talk, playthroughs, and the continuing adventures of my journey to becoming a uh, game developer on my own. So, documenting all the journey here for you guys and for the aspiring game devs listening on the show. Don't want to get a little bit of a taste of what it's like to go on this journey. A lot of stuff today uh, for, for you guys here. Some talk on Destiny 2 that I wanted to bring up to, to here. Some other news that's going on. And uh, a little special uh, segment I want to bring up at the end of the show. Uh, based on the call-in I got recently. I'm hoping it's something that could be a great discussion over the next few days or even weeks. Depending on how far we want to take this. I would love to get a lot of feedback from you guys as much as possible on this if you're willing to give me the time so really looking forward to today's show thank you guys for lending your ears for this day for the show so why don't we just dive right into it so i haven't given an update on destiny 2 in my playthrough for a while i've been kind of nitpicking at it lately here since work's been so busy and really try to gobble it up in like 20 minute chunks each night before i go to bed so I'm probably a lot behind behind you players there that have been on Destiny 2 since day one. And it's, I think it's already been out for two, three weeks at this point. I'm sure most of you finished the campaign, but that's my life right now. Family, job, game dev studying. <laughs> the actual game time is uh, left to, remains to be seen. But I've been, uh, I've been pushing hard in the campaign lately. I'm about, want to say, five hours in at this point. I just got to uh nessus which is one of the the rocks that vex had turned into their kind of their own uh nesting place where i was trying to locate Cade. so i got through that mission and i'm now just kind of going through some of the side missions the adventures and public events they got going on on the planet quite a lot too uh the other planets maybe had two or three this one when i looked at the map had about six and i just completed one of them now so just I mean updates just to see where we are with that. Um, I mean it continues to be, you know it continues to be Destiny One with the variety we've been looking for since Vanilla Destiny. You know I mean nothing is really changing shoot mechanics wise. You still got the same enemies there: the Hive, the Vex, the Fallen. Some variations of the enemies are are new to the game. Like I was uh, as I was making my way fighting the Vex to find Kate, I was surprised to see. Uh, these fanatic robots who basically look like what a Vex would look like if you shoot off their head and they still come at you, but these guys actually blow up. So they got a variation of that, much like the uh, the Hive and Fallen have too. So they, so they have a little variation there, but I mean it's a lot. It's a lot of the same. I mean, once again, I mean if you know Destiny One, you know what you're getting into. It's still a solid shooter. Bungie knows how to do this, and. I gotta see how the story goes for now. I mean, right now it's just kind of playing fetch quests, like trying to find all my old comrades and probably bring them back together to take on this almighty weapon that's going to suck up the sun and destroy my solar system. But I do appreciate a lot more variety that they're adding here. Um, you know, it definitely doesn't feel like the world is empty. Um, you know, I know a lot of people were complaining that there was a lack of sparrows uh, to get around in the game here. And I think that is, you know, to, this is to its credit here because, you know, now you can actually take on the world and, and see 
more of the world to, to your choosing here, and there's a lot more to do. So, and, and within close range as well. So you really don't have to worry about having a sparrow with you to get around easier because there's always something to do. And the map makes it very easy to fast travel and get to certain adventures that maybe you want to use to upgrade your light and your gear. And the loot drops are just amazing. You know, speaking of loot, you know, I, I feel like I'm running into a treasure chest like every 10 minutes or so, 5-10 minutes, which you, you really had a hard time doing in the first game there. You had to really dive into caves and alleys and you know and whatnot to just to get the kind of glimmer and rare gear you're looking for so i do appreciate their making a better effort to help you level up quicker so you can get your way up to the strikes and raids i'm currently at a light level of about 154 if i last played i just got off it a couple of minutes ago that's what i think my light says so i'm getting there um Probably still ways to go with the story. I don't think I'm halfway there, but I mean it's it's been good. It's been good, you know, getting into deeper into the story. And I I think the uh, I think they're definitely uh, learning from the first the very first game. Obviously, I think Destiny got better once they started getting to Taken King and House of Wolves. But I appreciate the different stories and you know Kate Nathan Fillion, just hilarious as always. I I love the the whole AI of that planet's uh, failsafe. You know, he's got the good and evil side, and they're both named Failsafe. <laughs> uh, if you haven't, if you have played it, you know what I'm talking about. But it's, it's pretty funny. It kind of goes up there with the kind of sarcastic wits that you know you're going to get from Nathan Fillion character, characters. So not too bad. Uh, I'm enjoying the story. I, I'm looking forward to getting done with the campaign soon and start doing a little more Crucible, doing a little more Strikes. I know a bunch of buddies are waiting for me to get up to that level 2 since I'm behind, but very good stuff so far. Uh, we'll see as we get to the end of the campaign. I'll have more thoughts then and let you guys know. So Valve has done something very interesting in the Steam platform. They've been really pushing hard on a practice that is called asset flippers. Basically, the the way I've read about this, and this this was completely new to me that was going on, asset flipping is a term coined to basically refer to the practice of Building a game basically almost out of entirely of pre-made assets with very little original work and creativity involved, uh, and they say Steam is usually the biggest uh, uh, place that uh, has a lot of the stuff. Basically, fake games, if you will. I think a lot of what you know the assets, like you know, as many people know, I'm I'm working in Unity right now, learning the platform and developing for it, and the Unity has. A store where you can get some pre-made assets to kind of help assist your game but it looks like there's a certain limits on some of those games that all valve and steam will allow uh, before they take it down and that's exactly what valve has uh, been doing a lot lately but in particular case recently they removed close to 173 games that they've accused to be an asset flipper or a cheaply made title and it looks like they're just doing this to cut a profit very easily. They just kind of... It looks like the games that are, are on this list all kind of share the same kind of uh, pre-made assets loaded in. They have kind of like a very similar theme. And it's just something they've uploaded to to try to avoid certain fees. Like It looks like if you upload multiple games under one Steam Direct application, you're able to bypass the $100 fee for publishing it for each title. And so that was a concern of theirs as well. But a lot of the titles here 
uh, they seem to have come from a studio called Silicon Echo Studios. Uh, games like Clicky, Grim Banana, Shapes, like very cheaply made games on this list. And it's it's very surprising. And but the what the the interesting thing too is that Steam, uh, they Polygon had asked for an update for them, and they returned their uh, the favor. They're saying that pretty much the bulk of these games that were in the asset flipping realm were made by the same guy, just under different accounts. And it's a troubling thing too because you got you got a lot of the shovelware being put into Steam here that are now being part of the Steam catalog. They're all part of the search engines now to basically look for a certain type of games or, th- or genres that gamers are looking for. And they, unfortunately, get flooded with a lot of these cheap bundles that aren't even real games, per se. I mean, they're games, but they're like really fake knockoffs is the way it seems to be discussed in this article here. So Valve has really been cracking down on this practice. Uh, it looks like since August, they have made it known that they're going to restrict the number of keys they issue to developers um, if they find out that they're using this practice. Uh, and it's not like Bob hasn't done this before, but this is like the largest, like 173 titles is a lot of games to take off Steam. But they, this is the largest they've done this year alone. Uh, so basically anything from Silicon Echo, the studio, the whole library is gone. It's not available anymore. The only way you can actually play any of those games if you wanted to was if you already had the the had bought the license to and have them in your personal collection. So this is this is a this is for real here, and I, I guess it's a I guess it's a reminder to I mean developers out there, you know, including myself, as I try to learn the trade myself, that you know you can make your games. You know, no one's stopping you from doing it, um, and you have the assets on place like Unity and Unreal to, to buy and help you out in certain areas. Like if you're a programmer and don't exactly have any arts uh, skills to justify the game, you know, you kind of got to juggle what you got with uh, the original material looking for and not try to be so, uh, not try to be so quick and cheap to get things up and running and try to make a quick profit. It's clear that Valve doesn't, doesn't like this and, is asking a lot of the developers to respect their customers and their policies when it comes to these kind of spans slash clone games that are going into the store. So I'm curious to see where this goes here. I wonder if uh, Silicon Echo is going to have any statements about this as well down the road. Uh, there has, doesn't appear to be any comments yet, but, you know, watch how you're uh, getting your games out there in Steam, guys. <laughs> it's... Uh, you know, we want definitely the best quality game possible. So I hope you guys are thinking about that for a few devs out there that are doing it. But this is an interesting story that I figured I'd share with you guys. Some sad news in the game dev world uh, as well. It was just uh, talked about a couple of days ago that the Chinese Room is a developer that is very well known for the launch of Everybody's Gone to the Rapture from last year. A walking simulator game, basically. You deal with the loss of a certain town and try to figure out what's going on around there uh, interacting with different kind of ghosts or spirits to get to know the town better and, and see where everybody's gone hence everybody's gone to the rapture and it got great reception great reviews great good sales fans were definitely waiting on the next big project but according to Eurogamer it looks like the 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 the, the the directors, uh, Dan Pitchbeck, Jessica Curry, their, their husband and wife, 
I went on and laid off the entire staff uh, to the point where there's only basically eight people left, and they've closed down the office, and they're basically... And the way I'm reading is that they're basically now working from home uh, in their house in Brighton. So technically, Chinese rooms still exist, but it's down to a very, very small team. And it looks like the details is basically the most common one that you kind of hear of a lot of uh, independent developer studios. It's just really expensive to run one. Um, you know, the history of them is that these two, the directors, were were kind of the start of the developer then they got like 11 or 12 more people to get on working on everybody's gone to the rapture um but they started realizing you know as you're doing that you're putting in they, they said they were putting in about 35 40,000 pounds a month which for 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 that currency is pretty hefty uh so the cost of paying people the cost of keeping the lights on in the office and and you know making sure the game is published so they were on edge for a while um making this game, making sure it worked in time. And if obviously if the money's not coming in, you can't pay the bills. And so I think and I think what led to it looks like what led to is that I mean the Chinese room has been known for walking simulators. They also uh, created a, a VR game that I'm neglecting to remember right now. I think it was for the Google Daydream. But basically it between that and Pinchback basically saying he just got tired of walking simulators and it actually got to the point of burning them out when they were doing this, and they wanted to basically try to create something that's more traditional and more ambitious that they feel that they feel requires them to do a restart and, and why they, you know, kind of shrunk things down a bit. And, but just to do that, they need more money and they need publisher money to do it. Now, of course, the thing is, with that, any kind of negotiations you're making with a publisher usually takes a good amount of time. They were quoting here that... You know, they've been talking like for six months to a certain publisher to get this idea off the table. But the problem is, you're burning money as you're doing that when you have nothing else going on. It gets to the point that what do you do to keep the studio open and, and keep the team going? And it looks like they had to make the tough choice to say that uh, that the, the staff was going to be laid off. And so and this was actually happening two months before their VR game was going to program be published. Uh, it's called So Let Us Melt. That's the that's the name of the VR game they did. So that's that's an unfortunate and you know, but I think uh, you know people here who know the industry will know that it's very hard to run a game studio and and be a game developer in this trade. I mean, you're at the you know unless you're owned by one of these major publishers like Activision or EA or Microsoft or Sony for that matter then you're uh, you know you're you're at the skin of your teeth trying to work out some kind of deal with either somebody smaller or you know try to raise the money on your own through investors it's it's a very hard life to go through uh, and we've always we've heard so many stories about how one particular game you know everything was being banked on that and if that game didn't sell well goodbye studio and you hate to hear that. You hate to see people lose jobs in general, especially for the kind of love for this craft that they have. But this is the reality, unfortunately, of the world we're in. Making games are expensive. Running game studios are expensive. And I'm sure there's 10 million other things that are going on that we don't know that could you know, result in a lot of these studios failing. And Chinese Room, unfortunately, had to really downsize if they wanted to survive as some kind of entity. So, sad to say, but it uh, looks like we're not beginning any more walking sims for these guys anytime soon for the foreseeable future. Uh, but, you know, this is, a, this is always an interesting topic to discuss. Uh, I'm 
very close to finishing Blood, Sweat, and Pixels to talk a little bit about this more in depth. So when I get to that point, I'll share some other experiences of people who've gone through this as well. Hey, this is Josh over at Intelligame Radio, and I wanted to call and say thanks for calling in and talking about some of those mental benefits of gaming. I think that we need more folks out there thinking critically about the ways that games do us a service, and I think that there's plenty for us to learn. Anyway, looking forward to hearing more about what is on your station and what you have moving forward. Have a great one. Thank you, Josh, for the call in there. That was Josh from Intelligame Radio here at Anchor. Uh, very insightful podcast talking about uh, a lot of the you know, you know things about gaming, but also really getting deep about you know what games can do, why they're important to the society we're in now. Uh, I think it, it it really makes you think a lot uh, about certain things about gaming. So. Uh, really go go check out the guy station. He's pretty he's pretty really good with these kind of discussions. And I published that call in because uh, it's very interesting to talk about the benefits of gaming. Um, you know, it's something I think we take it for granted for sometimes, especially for any of you that have been playing as long as I have. Like I've been playing it for almost thirty years now at this point. And you sometimes forget that perspective and and try to scale back as to why exactly. Do you like games? What are and what are the benefits to gaming uh, that we can appreciate and also share with others too? That maybe on the fence with this kind of uh, hobby that we have as well. And I think it's it's important to take about too. I mean, we look about all the stuff that's been going on lately with the PewDiePie incident and the the racial slur that was mentioned on the stream that resulted in uh, Campo Santos you know, putting a strike on him and saying he can't talk any anymore about our Firewatch stuff and anything we do further, you know, there's always, there's that sad side to the space that we live in and, you know, the, the negative effects of gaming that we unfortunately have to live with and try to explain away as much as we can when we're trying to defend it. But I think it's, you know, I think it's very important to really talk about these benefits as well uh, and really get people to understand you know, why it is we love what we love. And this is not me saying to, to force everyone that's not a gamer to become a gamer. I mean, we all have our interests and our hobbies, you know, and uh, if, you, you know, if you get it, but it's saying it's not for you, then I totally understand that. I think for me, and something that I've personally seen in my time growing up in this world is that, you know, games have always had that stigma of, you know, these are just for the people that stay inside all day, or these are these are the the fat, lazy people who still live in their mom's basement is the the other cliche term that I've heard growing up as a gamer myself. And even today, I mean, 2017, I mean, we're definitely in a much more mainstream environment where video games are appreciated and respected for what they do. Very, very rarely out of, uh, out of sometimes do I still hear the those kind of cliches, subtle, either subtle or direct, come our way and it gets it gets a little frustrating but at the same time I think it's important to have a very frank and thoughtful conversation about that too so I'm hoping over the course of the next few days I don't know how long I'm going to go through it but I want to kind of make this kind of segment like a little bit of a series for for however long I want to do it to kind of really dive into what are good benefits of gaming why why is gaming such a good thing in our culture today so gonna kick things off in the next segment with uh, the first uh, benefit that i think works for gaming first thing that always comes to mind to me as a benefit of gaming is hand-eye coordination 
uh, we're getting more into the the scientific piece first before we get into other areas like the mental and social aspects. You know, I I work in the you know game development's not my full time trade. It's something I'm putting on the side, but I do work in the ad tech industry, dealing with uh, a lot of different publishers and advertisers for you know making sure their advertising campaigns get up and running in whatever form they're doing it. And you know the one thing, obviously, with doing that, you got to work on a computer because you got to access these sites to verify ads are running well. You got to go into your ad server to make sure campaigns are running fine, make sure they're delivering to the client's expectations. And one thing about that I see myself do really well is that I'm just a really fast typer. I can't tell you exactly how many words per minute. I want to guess maybe. 200, 300 words a minute in that range, but maybe a little less. I'm probably exaggerating, but I just don't know. I just know I type I type really fast, that's for sure. Um, and I have to spell check sometimes when I do it. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to get to is, you know, games definitely require you to have very good hand-eye coordination. you you got the controller in your hand, you're trying to look at the screen, and you're trying to make sure you understand and you know the buttons well enough uh, to be able to pull off, you know, fast combos when you're doing fighting, or if you're doing a, a first-person shooter like a Call of Duty or a Halo, you know, you got to know when to fire your weapons and when to reload, or when to switch to that uh, secondary weapon that was more effective against the enemy, or when to throw a bomb at somebody when there's a cluster of enemies around in a circle. So there's a lot of quick thinking in this too, but I think the hand-eye coordination is very key too. Uh, Games can be very tense environments. I mean, a lot of these, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the things that drives games is having certain situations in the game where, you know, there's a cliffhanger or there's a twist that, you know, all of a sudden you're surrounded by the enemy and you need to be quick in your reflexes to get around. And so I, I look at games as one of the great benefits of helping me in my life, too, in, in just helping me in my day-to-day -day job. I think because it's because I've been doing it so long and I've really improved that hand-eye coordination that it helps me in my actual profession day-to-day -to -day too. So, so if anybody needs any like convincing like, you know, from a physical standpoint or a mental standpoint what games can do, I mean, hand-eye coordination is, is very key uh, in the space. Uh, especially, you know, when you're, you have to monitor controls and while you're looking at something. Uh, I'm sure there's other real-world applications beyond just typing on a laptop uh, that can do that, but if you're doing something where you have to stare at something while monitoring or running a control with your hands, or maybe thinking also like maybe if you're operating a crane, for example, or something, uh, you got to operate the controls, but you also got to be able to watch where you're swinging the crane so that you're not hurting some, something or someone. So just an example that came off my head. So that's one thing to really think about uh, to kind of kick off this benefit of gaming uh, segment. I would love to hear your thoughts about this and more that you want to contribute to this as well. Uh, we're gonna, I'll have more for the next few shows that I have in my mind, but I think this is a good way to kick things off. Uh, there's definitely some other aspects, social, mental, physical, that I have in mind too, but this is a great way to kick it off. Leave a call on the show. Uh, let me know what you think about that and anything else you can think of for gaming that you think is a real benefit. And you can also email me too at tim at videogamefury.com if you have something a little more long-form written that you want me to share as well. So thanks again for the time, everyone. Have a great day.